Let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. We're thinking this morning on promises kept. God has made a a colossal amount of promises to his people. Some are focused on eternity. Some are focused on the right here, right now. But can he be trusted to keep them? Abraham is referred to as the father of faith. as the father of all who believe, not because he's perfect in his faith. We've seen that even last week, that he is flawed in his trust. But because he's the one to whom so many promises are given, and he's the first person, really, in Scripture that we see working out the reality of hanging on to God's promises over the long haul. His life is the first life that's set out in detail. And we see him failing to hold on to the promises. We see him struggling to hold on to the promises. We see him hanging on to them gloriously. A whole mix. And as we look at chapter 21 of Genesis, uh, we see that Abraham is not wasting his time trusting God's promises and really Uh, Although I've got three points this morning, they're all really saying the same thing. Uh, There is a God that you can trust. There's a God that you can trust, first of all, to keep his word. That's what we see in the first scene, verses 1 to 7. Where were you in 1992? Some of you didn't exist. Especially those of the 18th birthday parties didn't exist 25 years ago. Um, 1992, I just finished secondary school. Uh, 1992 saw the formation of the European Union, not the EEC, not the EC, but the EU. On the 7th of February, the Maastricht Treaty was signed. Maybe more significantly, Euro Disney was opened in, in France. Bill Clinton became US President. The Olympics, which is how I tend to mark time, uh, were in Barcelona. And they were really significant because South Africa was allowed to compete for the first time since 1960. Germany competed as a single country. There's some of the young people here going, what do you mean single country? Well, it used to be East and West Germany. And in uh, 1990, they were reunited. And in 92, they competed for the first time since 1964 as one nation at the Olympics. And then there's a host of new countries. Well, not quite new, but new to me, because I wasn't around in 1936 when they last competed at the Olympics. Lithuania and Estonia and Latvia, part of the former Soviet Union, now competed as individual countries again. 1992. And a, a new society was formed. ISOC. Internet Society was formed in 1992. Uh, There was a time pre-internet, believe it or not. Uh, And the Internet Society was formed to assure the open development, evolution and use of the Internet for the benefit of all people throughout the world. Wow. A time when the Internet was invented. A time when Germany uh, had been two nations and was now one. That seems a lifetime ago. Well, imagine a promise that was made to you in 1992 and you were told would come true in 2017. 
maybe a promise that you would receive a huge inheritance. Uh, and though for 25 years you would live in relative uh, poverty, imagine the delay that you would feel, that sense of it's never going to happen. Uh, imagine that people saying to you, look, it's just a pipe dream. That's not going to happen. Just get on with life. And people saying, you need to get on and live in the real world and stop waiting for this pie-in-the-sky daydream. But then the day would come, 25 years later, when it would come true. Well, imagine that you weren't given a deadline. No date was assigned. And you were just told that this promise would one day come true. And the years pass and pass and pass. And there's no sign of it happening you begin to wonder, could the person who made the promise be trusted? Well, that's what we've got here. 25 years have passed since God made a promise to Abraham and Sarah. But what do we see in this chapter? We see that God can be trusted to keep his word. No matter how long passes. And do you see how in the opening verses, this point is underlined. Have a look at verse 1 and 2. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And you remember how the, the ancient writers underlined things was by repetition. So, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Verse 2. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. So do you see, what is it Moses wants us to see here? God keeps his promises. God keeps his word. 25 years had passed. 13 years had passed since the, the mess they had made with Hagar when they gave up on God's promise and thought they could sort it out themselves. But God has kept his promise. I wonder how Sarah has felt for the last seven or eight months. It's become clear that she, the unthinkable has happened, the unimaginable is happening. That she has become pregnant. The joy, the relief, the astonishment, the wonder are all wrapped up in these verses and you get a real sense of it. Sarah's delight. God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. You get the sense of the sheer delight. God has brought blessing. He had brought them blessing already. Promised blessing. Abraham had become rich and wealthy. He had given them land. But the threefold promise wasn't complete. Land, blessing, and descendants. Now it's complete. God had kept his promise. And it shows us that no matter how long he delays... No matter how long the gap is between the promise being made and promise being fulfilled, God can be trusted to keep his promise. Remember, the first people that are experiencing this and reading this are needing to learn, as we need to learn, that God's promises can be trusted. And so here is this long delay, part of it to show us and teach us that God keeps his word. God's promises don't have an expiry date. No matter how long, he's faithful. His timing isn't necessarily our timing. But in time, 
He always keeps his promises. I love the verses in verse 6 and 7. What Sarah says, God has brought me laughter. And then she says, who would have said? And those responses will be the response of God's people one day. One day when all of our sadnesses come untrue. One day, the day that we thought would never come. One day we will say, God has brought me laughter. One day we will say, who would have said that this could happen? Think of some of the promises he's made. He's promised to return. It's been nearly, nearly 2,000 years since Jesus ascended into heaven. Promised to come back. He promised that he would make all things new. He promised to work all things for good. He promised that we will be more than conquerors. He's promised that sin will vanish and that our temptations will be no more. He's promised that he will wipe away every tear from every eye. He's promised that death has lost its sting. He's promised that he won't lose one of his people that the Father has given to him. One day, We will look out over a spectacular new earth and we will say, who would have said? Who would have said that this would have happened? One day we will look at these decrepit bodies made new and we will say, God has brought me laughter. I will look out with two eyes and proper stereoscopic vision and I will say, look, God has brought me laughter again. My mum will not be in a wheelchair She'll say, God has filled me with joy. Who'd have said I'd be running again? One day, some of you are experiencing weakness and sickness. will certainly say, who'd have said I'd be doing so much and never feeling tired or weary? One day, we will look at the tapestry of our lives from the, the other side. And we will see the beauty and purpose of every thread that God has interwoven, even the threads of sorrow. And we will look at the interconnectedness of them with all other aspects of our lives and the lives of others. And we will say, look, look, and marvel at it. Isn't this wonderful? And we'll say, who would have said that I would have ever said, wasn't it good that that happened to me? But look, look at what God has done. Who would have said I would ever thank God for that pain and that sorrow? But I do. And that day isn't always restricted to the far-off future of eternity. We get glimpses of it here. Because I've heard some of you say, I never thought I would hear myself say this, but I thank God for my illness. I thank God for my depression. I've heard some of you say that. Because you find that God keeps his promise. We get glimpses of it here. Some of his promises have their complete fulfillment in heaven. When Christ returns. When we will certainly say, I have seen God keep his promises. But we get glimpses of it here. And even here we say, I've seen God keep his promise to me here and now. So here's a God that we can say, you have kept your promises. A God who keeps his word. A God who can be trusted. You have a God 
who promises that our tears last for a night time, but the joy comes in the morning. And we can know that the time will come when we will say, God has brought me laughter again. You can trust God to keep his word, no matter how long the delay is. And do you see by repetition again how the the writer emphasizes that there was a delay when all seemed lost? Uh, We read in verse 5, Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And then at the end of verse 7, Yet I have borne him a son in his old age, when all seemed lost. No. God had a promise. So all wasn't lost. This is the God that we have. The second thing we see, it's the exact same, only different. A God you must trust. A God you must trust amidst the hard times. The second scene, verses 8 to 20, at least three years have passed. We read that uh, Isaac was weaned. Now, in Isaac, or in Abraham's time, in Abraham's place, children weren't weaned until they were three, four, five years old. So Isaac isn't a little uh, infant. He's a toddler. And that means that Ishmael, who's teasing him, it would seem here, is not a 13-year-old like he was when uh, Isaac was born. He's 16, 17, 18 years old. And this isn't friendly banter. This is taunting. This is ridiculing the toddler. This is a malevolent mockery. Paul in Galatians 4, verse 29 says he was persecuting Isaac. So there's much more than some friendly teasing. And Reading the Bible story here, we see in it echoes of things before it and things after it. An older brother persecuting a younger brother. It reminds us of Cain killing Abel. It's an echo of Abraham's grandson, uh, Jacob, being harassed by Esau, his older brother, of his great-grandchildren, Joseph, being picked on by his older brothers. But on an even bigger scale, it's a picture of the the promised seed being threatened by the seed of man. It's, it's, It's Satan at work, trying to stamp out the line of promise. That's where it could lead. And so because that's where it could lead, and although Sarah doesn't know where that, where it might lead, she has a fear that it's, it's what she sees happening in this moment could just progress and progress, and that her son Isaac is going to be badly done by out of it, she says to Abraham, her husband, send them away. Send them away. She sees the mockery. She's hurting like any mother. And although her words seem harsh to us, well, there's the fact that God backs them up and says to Abraham, do send them away. But also in ancient law, there were two things. First of all, when a man fathered a son by a slave, that was his son and he stood to inherit. So the inheritance would have to be divided between Isaac and Ishmael. Sarah doesn't want that. But also, 
If a man fathered a son by a slave and he gave them their freedom, and so they were no longer slaves but free men and women, that was offset against the inheritance. And so they would no longer inherit his property, but they would get their freedom. And she says to Isaac, or to Abraham, do that for them. Send them away. Send them away. Give them their freedom rather than have them here and there to be further trouble caused. But Abraham's torn. What father wouldn't be? What good father wouldn't be? He doesn't want to send his son Ishmael away. Now remember at this stage, although he's called a boy in the text, um, he's, he's 16, 17, 18, 19. He's, he's practically a grown man at this stage. This isn't in your mind's eye. This little toddler uh, is being sent away. Um, he wasn't a toddler by any stretch of the imagination. He was a young man. and But even so, it's going to be hard on Abraham. But Abraham is going to learn to trust God completely, both with Isaac and with Ishmael. And that's going to be vital. And there are two things that we learn here. We learn that trusting God means complete trust. It's not simply that God can be trusted, but that God must be trusted. God must be trusted. Trusting God means complete trust. God says to Abraham, listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. These are days of high infant mortality. It was always that way until recently, where children could die for any and every reason. And Abraham and Sarah have this little toddler, but it's early days. It would be many years before Isaac would marry and have children. Much could happen. But Abraham is going to have to trust God that God will give him descendants through Isaac and that it's not going to be through Ishmael, that it's going to be through Isaac and God is going to keep his word. Abraham's going to have to trust God with that. And there is going to have to be a complete trust. Abraham is going to have to put all his eggs in one basket, so to speak. And why is this recorded for us? It's recorded for us to teach us that there are times when we have to trust God completely. We always have to trust God completely, but sometimes God gives us resources that he intends us to fully use. So, when we cross the road, he has given us eyes and ears, we look both ways and we listen. We don't just say, oh, I trust God completely and step out in front of a bus. Uh, you know, he's given us resources to use and we use them. But sometimes the resources God gives to us, it's only his bare promise. And when God gives us his bare promise, that's a resource that we're intended to use and we need to trust him completely. Salvation is the perfect example, the vital example. We can't put some of our, our eggs in one basket and some in another. We've got to trust Jesus completely. We can't say, well, I'm going to rely on, on doing my best and I'm going to rely on Jesus doing his best because that's to split our, our resources as it were, to split our trust. And God says, no, no, no. You've got to put everything on Jesus. You've got to trust him completely. And in some ways... 
this, this whole story of Ishmael, he was, he was an illustration of Abraham trying to do it his way. And Isaac is an illustration of it being done God's way. And we see in the story that when you try to do it your way, you fail. And Abraham is going to have to trust God and do it God's way and go with Isaac. No backup plan, no plan B. He's got to trust him completely. And we need to trust God completely with our salvation. We need to put all our eggs in one basket, so to speak. We need to go to Christ and trust him with everything and rely on him to take the punishment for our sins, rely on him to make us right before God, trust his promise when he says there is now no condemnation, to hear his promise when he says it is finished, that it is done. Whenever he says, although your sins be as scarlet, I will make them as white as snow, we've got to trust him. We've got to trust him. And there are other points in life where we find ourselves needing to trust completely. Where we could try and get out of bother our way. But it wouldn't be God's way. And we can't see any other way out except to trust God and do the right thing. And put all our eggs in that one basket. And we learn here that that's what we're to do, that you must trust God completely. And whatever he's calling you to obey him in, you're to trust him completely. This is a God you must trust fully for salvation and everything else. And that also means trusting God when it's painful. Abraham not only had to trust God with Isaac, that Isaac would grow and flourish and make it to adulthood and that he would find a wife and that he would have children. That's an awful lot of things he has to trust him with. But he also has to trust him with Ishmael whenever he's sending him away. He's a good father. He cares about his son, even though the son is illegitimate. It distressed him to send him away. And can God be trusted with our pain? Can God be trusted with things that bring immense sorrow into our lives. And God restates the promise that he had made to Abraham a year earlier. A promise that he had actually made to Hagar 16 years earlier, or thereabouts, that God would take care of Ishmael, that God would make Ishmael a great nation. And here he reminds uh, Abraham of it again. Uh, in... Where is it? In verse 12, I think it is. Uh, I know, verse 13. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also because he is your offspring. You know, Abraham had already been told this about four or five years previously, actually. And he'd forgotten it. How much anxiety do we bring on ourselves because we forget God's promises. Hagar does the same thing. God had promised spectacularly. He had appeared to her and said, I promise I will make your son into a great nation. Uh, he will be a man that will not be biddable and controlled by others, but he will be a great nation. And she's forgotten it. 
Here she is, Abraham trusts God, sends Hagar off with supplies. She seems to wander around in the desert and gets lost. And uh, she lays Ishmael down under a bush as if he's been leaning on her, as they've been staggering along, running out of water. And she puts him in the shade and, and she goes off at a distance as if both of them are just going to lie down and die. But God hasn't forgotten. They may have forgotten God's promises, but God doesn't forget his promise. And here we see the wonder of God's rich kindness. Ishmael isn't part of God's covenant people, but he's still going to enjoy the care of God because God promised. And God keeps his word and he speaks to Hagar again. And I love it. He says, what's the matter, Hagar? He speaks to her personally by name. We saw the, the wonder of that before, the first person in ancient literature uh, to be, uh, the first woman in ancient literature to be addressed by God by name. And here he does it again. She's a, an individual to him. She matters to him. And then he says, do not be afraid. God has heard. Now you might think, this, why does God not say And the angel of God is God. It's God the Son speaking. Why does he not say, I have heard? Why does he say, do not be afraid, God has heard? Why does he not say, do not be afraid, I have heard? You might think, well, what's the difference, Mark? Well, is it not a bit strange that God says to you, well, do not be afraid, God has heard? Except what does Ishmael mean? It means God has heard. What does God say to her? He says, do not be afraid, Ishmael. Actually, the Hebrew it is so very like it. He says, do not be afraid. And then for God has heard is Kishma Elohim. It's, it's Ishmael. Is, is, is right in the middle of it as a name. And Hagar would, would have heard this as if God's saying to her, remember, what's he called? He's called God hears. Remember, I have heard you. Do you hear me say it? Ishmael, God has heard. God will keep on hearing your cries. It's very deliberate. God wants to remind Hagar, I haven't forgotten. I've heard. I care. He restates his promise to make Ishmael a great nation. He enables her to see a well that's that's there, maybe it miraculously appears, or maybe there was a stone covering the mouth of the well and she hadn't realized it, and now she sees it. And then wonderfully we read that God was with the boy as he grew up. God's promise, God's provision, God's presence. God could be trusted. And that's what we see. Abraham didn't know how it would turn out. And there's sometimes there are circumstances and we don't know how they're going to turn out. But God says, trust me with them. Leave them to me. You trust me with them. You have to take a hands-off approach. And actually, as parents, is that not what we have to do? There reaches a point in our children's lives where we can no longer have the influence we would like to have and we have to back off, as it were, and can we trust God with them? Particularly, can we trust God with our, with our children? Yes, 
God can be trusted. There are other circumstances where we don't know how things will turn out and God says, trust me with it. We see that God can and must be trusted. And just before we leave this, remember too that this is a mess that Abraham made. And sometimes God takes us through painful circumstances because of previous sin. Dale Ralph Davis says this, and it's really helpful. He says, sometimes when God leads us out, or sorry, leads us through or out of the circumstances we have wrongfully arranged, there is no painless, ouchless way out. Some consequences are not reversible. Some messes are not totally cleanable. In Abraham mode, we are called to walk on from the broken pieces, from the circumstances that can't be rectified, and seek to be faithful from that point. And that's helpful. Sometimes there are circumstances that we have we've caused a mess, and we can't fix it. And God calls us to trust him with it. And he says, you, you keep following me and leave that with me. Can he be trusted? Isn't that what we see here? God can be trusted in pain-filled circumstances. And then thirdly and, and briefly, in the third scene, a God you can trust with the ordinary and the eternal don't need to say much about this closing incident. It's very ordinary. It's about a treaty, about a well, and all, you know, about a, a, a king that comes to, to enter into an agreement with Abraham. But a couple of things to see here that underline the whole emphasis of this chapter. First of all, there's more promises kept. This foreign king and his commander come to Abraham, we're told, because they see that God is with you in everything you do. And they see the way it's going to unfold. If God is with Abraham now, he'll be with him in the future. And everything's going to work out well for Abraham because God is a God who's blessing Abraham. And you and I know what they didn't know. We know that God promised to bless Abraham and make Abraham a blessing to the others. And these men come to Abraham and say, we see God is blessing you and we want to enter into an agreement so that you will not harm us and that you will be a blessing to us and to our descendants. Do you see that? In verse 23, they want, they're not just thinking of themselves, but their children after them. Because what we see is that God is a God who's keeping his promise. This king comes to a farmer and says, can we have a treaty, please, uh, that you won't cause any trouble for me and that my descendants will be blessed by your descendants? How is that happening? Because God has been keeping his promises and it's just in the ordinary, everyday, humdrum life of Abraham here. And we read it and we think, why are we being told this? And it finishes with Abraham. Uh, there's this chat about a well. And Abraham says, well, I dug the well. And here's these sheep as a proof, as a, as a, as a proof of the sincerity of my promise. Let's, let's, let me show you the, the truthfulness of what I'm saying here. This is my well. What are we saying? Well, this is the, the, the commander says, okay, it is your well. 
Fair enough, it's your will. It's yours and we agree to that. Well, Abraham was promised blessing. He was promised land. And here we see the, the, the land blessing being fulfilled in a small part, in an ordinary way. They needed water to live. But in the ordinariness of it all, there's part of the land promise being fulfilled. Children, blessing, land. All three elements in this chapter. You can trust God. To keep his promise. Even in the ordinary stuff of life. And the other thing that we see here. As we just look at the closing verses of it. Of the chapter. Abraham's worship. He calls on the name of the eternal God. And the next verse reads. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines a long time. More literally Abraham sojourned in the land. That means he he lived, it was like a temporary dwelling. The eternal God and temporary living. Dale Ralph Davis, again, let me quote him. He says, Here you are, a passing piece of clay, sojourning, and I'm going to put in North Donegal. In a minute or two, you're going to stand up and sing praise to the eternal God. And Dale Ralph Davis goes on and says, If the Lord once says, I will be God to you, then there is no condition, no circumstance, when that, when that can stop being true. And here's a little phrase. He wraps your sojourning in his foreverness. He wraps up your everyday stuff. In his foreverness. He wraps up. You know, Abraham needed a well to live. And God ensured he had it. Because he, he wraps up the ordinariness of life. In his foreverness. That's why you can trust him. He's taken your ordinary everyday life. And he's wrapped it in his eternity. With all his knowledge. With all his wisdom. With all his kindness. With all his unchangeableness. With all his grace. With all his forgiveness. You're wrapped up in him. And that's not just a playing with words. That's when the New Testament speaks of you being in Christ. You're wrapped up in God himself. That's why you can trust him. That's why you can trust him. With everything. If you haven't yet put your trust in Christ. That's why you must do it. Because he's a God who can be trusted. And who will keep his every promise. Even on through death itself. As the psalm puts it. The question is not whether we can trust him. But whether we will. So don't, don't find yourself. Standing with a foot in two camps. We saw Lot doing that. We see Abraham trying to do it here, learning that no, he can't do it. If you find yourself struggling with doubt, see over and over again in this passage that you have a God who can be trusted. Will you trust him as he brings all sorts of different things into your life, as perhaps he sorts out painful things in your life? Will you trust him with the ordinariness of everyday life too. If you're able, let me ask you to stand as we come to God in prayer.
Father in heaven, eternal God, that we can address as Father. We thank you for this wonderful passage that on the face of it seems so uh, such a, a hodgepodge of incidents and yet has this great theme running through it, that you are a God who keeps your promises. And we pray that you would help us to trust you. Help us to trust you with everything from salvation to our painful circumstances to the messes that we've made to the ordinary stuff of life. Help us to trust you. Help us to hang on to those great promises that find their fulfillment at the end of time that seems so long in coming. Lord, help us to hang on there waiting for you and to keep your word as we know you will. Father, help us when we struggle with doubt and pain and we struggle with failure. Help us, O Lord, to trust you and your ways of dealing with it. Help us too to trust your timing. And Father, we pray that we would see you working in our families and amidst our loved ones. For you are a God who has promised to work amidst the families of his people. And so we come to you and ask that we would see you do it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.